Howdy, welcome to another episode of Cannon Calls. I'm your host, Jake McAtee, and this week I had the opportunity to speak with Cy Ten Brugenkate from ProofThatGodExists.com. Recently, we have added his documentary, How to Answer the Fool, in the Canon app. I highly recommend you go download and subscribe to the Canon app, and you can find great content like Cy's How to Answer the Fool. Without further ado, Meet Saiten Brookenkate. All right, welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. Today's guest is a special one, someone who I've watched for a long time. Saiten Brookenkate, welcome to Canon Calls. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate you taking the time. I want to actually jump right into the title of your doc, which is How to Answer the Fool, it's now on the Canon app. So folks who have the Canon app, they can find it there. The verse, do not answer a fool according to his folly in Proverbs, Proverbs 26, I believe, right? Right. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. And of course, the next verse is answer a fool according <laughs> to his folly, wise in his own eyes. So, I never understood that before I understood the apologetic. But uh, it's funny you mentioned the name of the documentary because um, I remember I was with Chad Trotter and uh, Knox, who directed the film, who's very close to Canon. Yes. Um, we were on a Skype call together. I was still up in Canada and we were tossing um, names back and forth. And I said, I was thinking of calling it How to Answer the Fool, but I thought, you know, that'd be too in your face for people and you should see their eyes light up. <laughs> so immediately I decided to call it. And some people do find it abrasive, but then I just have to direct them to Verses like that in Proverbs and throughout scripture, you know, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So Psalm 14, one. you said you didn't understand it for a long time until you sort of understood the apologetic. I want to kind of go through that, not necessarily the verses, but even just that, that sentence. I, I feel like I even actually, before we started, I Googled the verse just to see how many articles there were. There's a lot of folks talking about this verse and, and it's sort of, they feel like, you know, the, the mysterious verse. Can you talk about how you understand the text? Yeah, sure. First of all, Proverbs is not a book on apologetics. And this book is, that verse is not necessarily referring to apologetics, but it applies perfectly, I believe, to apologetics. Because it says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Now, what is the fool's folly? Well, we're told that in Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So do not answer him, assuming that there's no God. And what do 99% of the apologetic methodologies that you see out there do? They say, well, let's pretend there's no God. We'll examine the evidence and we'll see who's right. We're doing exactly what the verse commands us not to do. But of course, the very next verse is, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Does that mean that we now deny the existence of God when we defend our faith? No, we, we say that, look, we know that God exists. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, you know that God exists, but you say that God doesn't exist. Let's assume your worldview for a minute. And if, if you say that there is no God, Show me how you can account for all of these things that you use in your life. Answer him according to his folly, lest to be wise in his own eyes. For example, um, one of the very first debates I did on British radio with a guy named Paul Baird, he said to me, there is no certainty. And I said, are you certain about that? And he just started laughing. Now, that was an example of answering a fool according to his folly, lest to be wise in his own eyes. Someone who denies certainty, you know, it's a self-refuting nonsense. So that's, uh, you know, I think a perfect uh, use of those two verses is, Answer according to our worldview that God exists and do not answer him according to his worldview, unless you use it to expose the folly of his worldview. Now, in the doc, you, in terms of defining a fool, 
I really loved the example you gave of your father and the backwoods Russians. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Yeah. People think that when you call somebody a fool that you're insulting their intelligence, but that's not the case. I mean, many of the people that I have debated are way smarter than I am. So it's a moral charge against willful ignorance against the God that you know exists. And the story that I tell in the film, uh, my father, he um, worked in an electronics firm in uh, Ontario, Canada. And this was before the Iron Curtain went down. He actually was doing some dealings with, uh, with Russia, his company was. And some people from Russia were actually visiting um, his plant at the time, and he was having a break with them. And uh, one of the Russian fellows wanted a, a cup of tea. So my father got him a boiling hot uh, you know, cup of tea, and he gave him a tea bag. And the guy was about to rip the tea bag open and, and pour it into his tea. And my father said, no, 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 you throw the whole thing in, because he'd never seen that before. He's seen the, you know, the loose leaves that you put in one of those... Uh, metal strainer things. So he was going to rip this bag open. My father says, no, 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 you, you put the whole thing in. And the guy looked at my dad kind of funny. And then the guy wanted some sugar for his tea. So my, my father gave him a, a bag of sugar and the guy threw it in his tea. And my father says, no, 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 you rip it open and you pour it in. <laughs> and the guy looked at my father like he was nuts. And I said to this fellow, I, I, you know, I said in the film, I said, is this man a fool? No, because he didn't know any better. He, you know, there's just new information. He didn't know what he was doing. So he was not a fool. In scripture, is the fool is the person who knows better. Jesus called the person the fool who built his house on the sand. Surely this man knew that when the waves came, his house would come down. He was somebody who knew better. And that's the fool according to scripture. The Proverbs verse is a great place to start. But I, I, so in terms of dis- differentiating the strain of po- apologetics that you uh, display in the documentary, how is it differentiated from the other, from the other strains? Well, I would say that this view is biblical. <laughs> the thing is, um, I mean, the best way for me to define it is to show what I was doing most of my life. I get a lot of grief when I say that that form of apologetics is sinful, so I don't say that anymore. But I say that when I was doing it, I was sinning because I was denying the God that truly exists. I was denying what God said in his word. So when somebody gave, came up to me and said, I don't believe in God, I gave them evidence. I gave them evidence to convince them that God exists. Now, scripture says, that they know that God exists. So right off the bat, I'm denying what the Bible says. But then I would give them evidence that God exists. And this is the question that I ask people, where do you hear evidence out in the world? You hear evidence mostly in the court of law. In court, who do you give evidence to? You give evidence to the judge or the judge and jury. If an unbeliever comes up to you and says, I don't believe in God, and you give them evidence to convince them that God exists, who are you saying is the judge and jury? You're saying that they're the judge. And in what seat in that courtroom do we put the Lord of glory? We put him into the criminal's box and we play his defense attorney in the unbeliever's blasphemous courtroom. And God has given us wonderful evidences. We can win that court case. But like I say in the film, who's the judge? The unbeliever is still the judge. So, I mean, that's the the main differentiation. But when people want to talk about why, you know, how the apologetic looks differently, I give the example of a fossil. Imagine that you took a fossil and you put it between a believing PhD and an unbelieving PhD. And they both examine that evidence to date to say how old it was. The uh, believer looks at that fossil and he says, um, Noah's flood, thousands of years. The unbelieving geologist looks at that same fossil and says millions or billions of years. Exactly the same fossil, but they have different conclusions. Same evidence, different conclusions. Why do they have different conclusions? Not because of the evidence. They have different conclusions because of the beliefs they take to the evidence. So it makes no sense to examine evidence when we all examine it according to what we already believe. And those things that we already believe are foundational beliefs. Those things are called our presuppositions. 
So rather than examine the evidence, I attack the presupposition. And I show that unless you start with God, you can't even make sense of examining evidence. At one quote near the end, you say, you cannot argue for Christianity by giving up Christianity. You mentioned also at the beginning kind of of the way to wrongly apply Proverbs 26. What are ways that you've seen folks in the apologetics world? And, And I think mainly the thrust of your documentary is like people in the everyday giving up their Christianity in order to like convince someone of the Christianity. Right. And this might be very new to people who are listening to this, but I would say 99 or, you know, in the high 90 percentile of um, apologetics that people watch online is talking about a God that I don't believe in. And I used to be really frustrated when I defended my faith that way. I didn't know why, because I wasn't talking about the God that I believed in. This is a defense of faith. We talk about the certainty of God. One thing that I say is in church, you know, we read Romans 8.38, nothing can separate me from the love of the Father, the Apostle Paul says. And I can imagine people reading that verse. What a loving, comforting verse. Nothing can separate me from the love of the Father. Tears streaming down our face. And then the very next day we go to work and we say to our partner, our buddy at work, you know, I could be wrong. I could be wrong about Christ, but if I'm wrong, I die, rot in the ground, worms eat my body. If I'm right, I get to go to heaven forever with God. If you're right, you die, rot in the ground, worms eat your body. If you're wrong, you go to hell. What have you got to lose? Pascal's wager. So on the the day before in church, we're talking about the certainty of God's existence. Nothing could separate me from the love of the Father. And the very next day, we reduce God to a probability. But if you say at work, I could be wrong, then guess what you can't say in church? Nothing could separate me from the love of the Father. You can only say nothing could separate me from the love of the Father if I'm right, and I'm pretty sure I'm right. That's not the God we worship in church. The God we worship in church is a certainty. And I would say that most of the other apologetic methodologies talk about a probability, and that's not the God that saved me. I was not saved by a probability. You have a, a line of like quick cuts in the dock of men like Lee Strobel and, and Frank Turek and- William Lane Craig. Yes. And he's, you know, and they're pretty damning in light of the discussions you're having around it. And I thought the worst one, and I don't remember where it is in the film, but uh, it seems like a youth pastor asks them, you know, what's, if we're going to prove the Bible, what can we not use? And then they all chant in like these kid voices, the Bible. And it's kind of- It's chilling. Yeah, that was- McDowell, son of Josh McDowell. Okay. Okay. Evidence of man's verdict. I actually use that clip in my talks. Okay. It's very chilling. Goes, it's very creepy. Yeah. Teaching apologetics, what can you not use to prove that the Bible is true? And they all yell out, the Bible. So in my talks, I walk on stage and I say, um, you know, what if I told you I was the strongest man in the world? I say, you might have assumed it already by looking at my physique. <laughs> and like, it's a big laugh. Okay. And then I but what if I said, I'm the strongest man in the world? And I said, what can I not use to prove that I'm the strongest man in the world? And they yell out, your strength. I said, that would be absurd. People would find that absurd. Why? Because if I was the strongest man in the world, what would I have to use to prove that I was the strongest man in the world? I would have to use my strength. And since the Bible is what it claims to, do, to be, what must we use to prove the truth of the Bible? We must use the Bible because if we use anything else, that becomes the authority. Now, we don't use the viciously circular argument of the Bible is true because the Bible is true. We say the Bible is true, it proves itself to be true, and if you deny that fact, your worldview is absurd. The doc works its way to a debate, you know, so as it goes along, it's working its way to, to a bit of a showdown, and, and we mentioned earlier, the doc's been out for several years. What, what year did this come out? 2013 on April Fool's Day. Wow. Okay, nice. That's, that's a nice touch. <laughs> And so uh, David, David, he worked tirelessly on that. I believe the first scene that was shot to it being available was like 12 weeks. I mean, uh, he worked night and day. He just did an amazing job 
And when I watch it, I just, I'm so thankful for Dave. And of course, Marcus Pittman was the director of photography there. And I just love those dear brothers. And I know they're up in Moscow now and I was able to just visit them. So that's pretty cool. A nice close connection. We're big fans of uh, Chuck Knox. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and just so everybody knows, he did say he visited Moscow. He did not come by Canon and we won't forget it. Um, <laughs> but one thing I want to say about the film, for those of you who end up watching it, at the very beginning of the film, I was talking to this friend of mine for like six hours and he finally got it. And I'm, I actually start chuckling. Now, it seems weird that I'm, I'm laughing at that point in the film. But the reason that I'm laughing is the person that I'm talking about is the person I'm talking to. It was the Jock Knox. I was talking for like six hours and then it finally clicked. He says, oh, the fear of the Lord is the beating of knowledge. They can't know anything unless they start with God. I said, man, that's the first thing I told you. But then he got it. And then, of course, you know, you see him now and it, he just uh, taken it and ran with it. Yeah. You know, it is actually funny. And I think even in the beginning, maybe the first scene where you're speaking with a kid on campus, people get so tied up and so tripping on their own shoelaces to make sure that you don't win the argument. That at one point you're having to convince the young man that like he does know things. And then he's right. like, no, I don't, dude. I don't know any, you know, it's like they get so tied up that it's like, okay, yeah, at the end of this, it does seem like no one's actually, no one is a neutral observer, eager to see the evidence to believe and, and, and allow themselves to be led where the evidence leads them. Right. When, when I go to a campus, I give them an option. I say, I'm going to give you an option today. Jesus Christ or absurdity. But most people choose absurdity because they love their sin. And thankfully, as being Reformed people, that's not up to us. We can't even convert one person. But the very first guy that, you know, the debate that kind of blew up was a guy named, like I said, Paul Baird uh, from England. And the third time I debated him, I asked him the question, I said, is it impossible for God to exist? And he said, no. I said, is it impossible for the Bible to be what it claims to be? And he said, yes. And I said, well, well he said, what does the Bible claim to be? I said, the revealed word of God. He said, yes, that's impossible. I said, why is it impossible for the Bible to be what it claims to be? And he says, because there's so many other competing worldview, we'd never know which one was right. And I said, Paul, would it make sense to say that there's no real money because there's counterfeit money? And he goes, hmm, that's an interesting question. I said, Paul, would it make sense to say there's no real dollar bills because there's fake dollar bills? I'm not sure what you're driving at. And then I asked him again, and he said, yes, that would make sense. Now, does he know that that's an absolutely absurd answer to give? Of course, because if he answers, you know, um, according to the way that he's supposed to answer, it destroys his worldview. And that's what I say. People choose absurdity rather than come to Christ. So going back to the, uh, there's a spoiler alert, and I don't think it's a major spoiler alert, but the doc is working its way to a, a debate that you have. And what I thought is the ultimate spoiler and like ricochet shot is that it's ultimately sabotaged by the Christians in the room. Not even really the right. atheist that you were talking with. So, have you come into that often where, I mean, these guys like kind of came off the rails a little bit. It wasn't necessarily well, what, even what, that they were I, like, I disagree with your strategy. I appreciate what you're doing. I don't know. It's just a real, came off the rails. Right. But, but one thing I tell people is not all Christians will understand this apologetic, but only Christians will. But the, those fellow who profess to be Christians were not Christians. And that was the point. People thought that I was kind of mean with them, you know, on set. Now, of course, I'm pretty direct anyways. However, um, Eric Hovind, he's also in the film. Uh, we sat as a group in Eric Hovind's office and we watched videos of this fellow before we went to the debate. And he denied the crucifixion of Christ. Uh-huh. He denied the resurrection of Christ. So he was not a Christian. I went over there to expose him, but people don't know that I watched video of him before I went out there. So they thought, man, you're being tough on that guy. But then he exposed himself later when he denied hell, he denied repentance and stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah, they were not Christian. They just professed to be Christian. But I think that, um, you know, they coddle up to the atheists and um, 
I think, you know, it's a wicked thing. They were wolves and I knew that before I got there. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, there's some behind the scenes, uh, additional spoilers from Cy. Now, (laughs) where, Cy, you're from Canada, but where did you come from? Like, who is Cy Tenbruggen, Kate? Where does it, where did he come from? I was born and raised in a Christian home in Toronto, Ontario. And, um, you know, I, of course I say that in some of my talks too, but I'm a boiler operator by trade. I'm a blue collar worker. I worked in the boiler room for many years. And I don't know when I was saved, you know, and I'm glad that I can quote Doug, you know, on this uh, podcast because I've learned so much from him. But people say that um, if you don't know when you're saved, then you're not a Christian. I usually start, I usually say to them, well, when did you start loving your mother? And, you know, they say, well, I don't know. I guess I guess you don't love your mother. But then I use uh, Doug's example. He says, if you're saved from drowning when you're 16 years old, it'll make it on the six o'clock news. But if you go to swim lessons every week for your entire life, I mean, how dare that person who was saved from drowning say, well, you can't swim because you weren't saved from drowning on the six o'clock news. So that's all I've known. I've lived in a house where Jesus' love was lived and shown. And I don't know a day that I denied Christ as Lord. You know, I, I don't say I was born a Christian. I don't know when I was saved. But I always had a passion for sharing and defending my faith. And it wasn't until, you know, about 16 years ago now that... Um, I realized I was doing it wrong. You know, C.S. Lewis, I talk about this um, uh, often, but C.S. Lewis has a quote in one of his books. And he said, the worst he's felt as a Christian is when he's just finished successfully defending his faith. And as an evidentialist, someone who uses evidences to prove that God exists, I felt exactly the same way, but I didn't know why. But now I know why, because I wasn't talking about the God I believed in. I was talking about some probability that the world wanted me to believe in. But now when I defend my faith as a presuppositionist, I never feel that way because I'm talking about the certainty of God's existence. So back in, uh, I think, 2004 or so, I was making an evidential website. And one of the things I think I've been gifted with is to take these difficult concepts and dumb them down to my factory worker level. You know, I'm not insulting people because I'm talking about myself. And that's what I did with all of these evidential type arguments. I brought them down to my level and my Christian friends loved them. They said, Sai, you got to get this out there. So I made a point and click website and I was just about to upload it. And I was using all these arguments with people at work. And I'd get them shoved down my throat. And I didn't know why. And I found out later the reason why is because they're terrible arguments. Most of them are actually illogical. Christians love them, though, because the conclusion is true. God does exist. But the way they get there with these arguments is just terrible. So I shelved the idea for the website for like two years. But it never affected my faith, but it affected my desire to share my faith. And then by the grace of God, you know, two years afterwards, I heard the debate, the great debate between the Christian Dr. Greg Bonson and then the atheist doctor, professed atheist Dr. Gordon Stein, and it rocked my world. I did not know what happened there, but I knew it was different. And then, you know, I found out it was called Presuppositional Apologetics. And the only thing that I could find online was a podcast by a guy named Gene Cook Jr. The podcast was called The Narrow Mind Out of California. And I became a narrow mind addict. And that's where I picked up that and, and uh, Dr. Bonson's online lectures. That's where I picked up most of the apologetic. And then I just started debating people online and the rest is history. So when did you start doing the, uh, going to schools? Going to schools to, uh, to speak? Well, yes. so um, I would, I would um, argue biblically, that's what presuppositional apologetics is. I would do that online. And then it was very interesting. Um, the open air preaching community is actually the community that really embraced this apologetic because I've seen them before, you know, they understood this apologetic. When somebody um, challenged them on the streets, they would just talk louder. They would talk over them. They wouldn't answer them because they didn't know how to answer them. Because, you know, when you do apologetics wrong, you have to be brilliant. And then so I came out with this and then people were, you know, seeing these podcasts and people were seeing me argue online. And then they would invite me to speak at these different uh, conferences, which was usually dealt with evangelism and open air preaching. And so that's the community that really got me. And I think it was about 2000 and 
2009, 2010, when I went out for the first time. And um, I think the first time was uh, in North Carolina with my friend, Dustin Seegers. And people ask me, you know, what inhibits more pastors and more people from going out? And I tell them, I could, I could give you the two reasons right now, pride and fear. And I know that those are the two predominant reasons that prevents people from going out because I feel it every time I go. And I say, if you're waiting for that to go away, it will never go away and you will never go out. Because I can remember that very first day in North Carolina, the, the week before, there was some uh, Pelagian open-air preachers and they were calling women nasty names for wearing skirts and things like that. And um, I, so I went to this campus and I didn't want them to think that I was those freaks. And it was a cold day. And I remember I seeing people uh, without a jacket on. And I said, you really need to be wearing a jacket today. I had no problem. Very easy for me to say that. But do you think that I could tell them that they needed Jesus as Lord, that they need Jesus as a savior? I said, no, because my pride and fear welled up. But thankfully, with this apologetic over the years, you know, I've overcome that. Not completely. You know, I still feel it every time I go. But then I go out and, um, you know, I share Christ with the lost. That's what a passion of mine. You know, like, I don't even care what you call the apologetic because a lot of evidentialists are upset with me. And I say, look, if you have a methodology that does not deny what the Bible says that can help me reach the lost, I'm all ears. But they never get back to me. When did you get hooked up with uh, Knox and the gang? So I think I met Marcus first at um, one of the deeper conferences in Covington, Kentucky. And that's actually a stone's throw from where I am uh, visiting right now. So, um, and then Marcus was living in Virginia uh, for a while. Then actually he was driving down to Florida, I think, to visit Eric. And then Marcus asked me to come over. And then he invited David over to the Chocolate Knox. And that's where I met David for the first time. And um, that's where we had that six-hour conversation where he finally got it. And then the rest is history. Then uh, Marcus ended up working for Wretched for a while. And it's not uh, a secret, but after a week, he got fired by Wretched. And David was working for uh, Wretched. Marcus said, you know, he deserved to be fired, but I think it's one of the best things that happened to him. But David was working for the Wretched at the time. And Marcus actually moved to Georgia. And um, that's where we met. And that's where we hatched the the idea for the film. It's interesting because I was on my way back from Florida once. Marcus was uh, living up in Georgia as well. And they said, we want to interview you. And, you know, I didn't have such a good time in Florida. I found out that they hated me because I was a Calvinist. And so I didn't really feel like doing an interview. And I said, come on, it'll be edifying. I said, sure, you know, let's do it. And I get there and they pull this leather couch out on the driveway and they had these lights made from uh, Tupperware bins and things. Like that. And, it, <laughs> and it was just crazy, but we had so much fun. And a lot of people don't know this, you know, so there is a series called Edified, which you should probably put on the Canon app as well. But yes, it was, yeah, it was yeah. what a lot of people don't know about Edified is that I was on the couch there and Marcus was interviewing me and David was doing the filming. And then Mar- uh, David said, no, no, not like that. And he shoves the camera into Marcus's hand and Marcus starts filming and David sits on the couch and he interviews me. And I tell you, we had such a blast. And I'm so thankful that uh, David's doing cross politic now because he is a guy that should be in front of the camera. And it all started uh, back in Edified. Well, he had some, you know, um, cam- on-camera stuff with uh, Todd Friel, but it started with Edified and he's just a, a brilliant guy. And I encourage people to go to Marcus's Crown Rights channel and um, watch Edified or to the Canon app when you guys put it on there. <laughs> yeah, I, I told Knox that uh, his, um, especially the ones with Gary DeMar about eschatology were, were really big for me. Those little, just those little clips on, on the couch. Yeah, A.D. So. Robles, he said that that was instrumental after he was converted and, you know, helping him understand a, a reformed and, um, you know, a post-mill uh, view by watching those clips. And I love the ones with Gary DeMar too. I often refer people to that. And they're just short 
a few minutes each, but you know, I thought they were fantastic. I hope they resurrect that now that they're both living up in Moscow. Yeah, I remember I said Moscow once when I was up there. They said, "No, it's Moscow." I said, "Yeah, I, I passed a field of cows on my way up here." <laughs> so there's no cow in Moscow. That's what we say. <laughs> a lot of communists, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people would be surprised. To be honest, as great of a community, we have insane people running this place. So um, those of you who don't where I was with Marcus in and tap there when we got the cops called on. Oh, us. really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's insane. I, yeah, it's, it's depressing. They recently, I think they just recently struck out the, um, constitutional exemptions, uh, last, yeah, I think last they night. They had to vote on that, but they suggested that they were going to do it. It's just incredible. It's insane. It's crazy. Yeah. So yes, I feel free to come on up. We're having a great time. And, uh, <laughs> I love um, my visit. I had a great time. I love worshiping with y'all too. And I love that you guys do communion every week. You know, real communion with wine too. I mean, I, I loved it. I had a great visit. That's insane that it's that it's unique. But um, so mm -hmm. with the debates, so there was a while there, and I I feel like right around the time that I learned about you, which was probably in 2013, 2014, maybe you were doing. It felt like debates were coming quick. I forget the the way you guys featured it. Whether it was something we purchased or it was live, but the Dillahunty debate. Debating Dillahunty. Yeah, we did a documentary. I mean, it was, um, the atheists actually charged for that event. So I didn't want Christians to be there. I didn't want to line their pockets. And you could hear that the crowd was very hostile. But uh, Marcus did that film on his own, actually. So he came out with a documentary called Debating Dillahunty, which we released, uh, you know, a few months later. But that debate is on YouTube. And I think it's got like a million views now. And wow. I'm thankful for that because one of the biggest insults that I get from the unbeliever, which I find to be a compliment, is they say he didn't came he didn't come to debate he came to preach, and I say amen. And you know I hopefully I preached a solid gospel in that debate, and over a million people at least just on YouTube have seen it. And you know I know of at least one instance of uh, an atheist who watched that over and over again. And I don't know at what point, but uh, the Lord saved him through that, so I'm very thankful for that. But that's debating Dillahunty. It's on YouTube, and yeah, we were offering it as a product, but then we just put it online for the Dutch price. Okay, free. Right. Say that because I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so. I think he has gone on to do, I, I was watching something maybe a year ago and uh, I, I think I was like rifling through Jordan Peterson content and then Dillahunty showed up out of nowhere at a magic show. I think mm -hmm. he does magic show now. Um, yeah, yeah, I heard. I, so I think you've, I think he's changed. So I think you really, uh, <laughs> something came unglued. So. Well, it's very, Jordan Peterson also sat on the stage with, uh, with uh, Matt Dillahunty. And it was very interesting because Jordan Peterson said that he, that Matt Delahunty knows that God exists and he didn't like it from Jordan Peterson and he didn't like it from me either. But I, I started this series and I answer anyone where I answer, give an answer to Matt Walsh, but I'd love to answer Jordan Peterson as well because he offers a Christless Christianity. But I love what uh, Doug said about him in one of his uh, podcasts not too long ago. He said he believes that Jordan Peterson is in danger of becoming a Christian. That's a guy I'd love to sit down and talk to. You know, as you were saying, I, I actually loved his time with Dillahunty because he, again, like you said, came to the same conclusion that you were forcing Dillahunty to. And there's really not a lot of people out there who are going to force Dillahunty to say, no, you are, I mean, you grew, not only did you, were you shaped and molded by a Christian culture, but you know, you know, basically running along the same lines. So, um, yeah, he the absurdity of not having a absolute foundation. Right. And that's why you see people like Matt Walsh, like Ben Shapiro, brilliant. But when it comes to their foundations, I mean, it's folly. And that's exactly what scripture says. When they deny God and the truth was word as their foundation, it's absolute folly. And I'd encourage people to go to my uh, 
answer anyone YouTube channel. That's where How to Answer the Fool is as well. But they can go there and they could see my How to Answer Matt Walsh. And you could see a brilliant guy just reduced to absurdity for you know, denying the authority of, of God's word in certain circumstances. He says, because people don't believe it. Right. And I said, that's like saying, well, you know, if somebody doesn't believe your gun in a gunfight, just throw it away. And of course, he, was, he thought that analogy was ridiculous. And I gave him many, many biblical analogies, which were exactly the same. Now, Sai, are you up to anything in the future here? Can we expect to see anything else, any other productions? Well, there, there, I, mean, I do want to work some more on my Answer Anyone channel. Okay. And um, I think also for the, the school up there, they wanted me to do a, a series. But uh, the Chocolate Knox and Marcus, there have been rumblings about um, doing a sequel to How to Answer the Fool. And I think that's something that I think that is necessary now that it's been um, seven years uh, since the pre- previous one, almost eight years. Because um, what I did, that, that's when I had just first learned the apologetic as well. And it was very philosophical. And I think a lot of the uh, conversations you know, in that are philosophical. And the more I do this, the more that I realize it's not about the philosophy. And I came up with an analogy and I'm thinking, if you could have anybody standing beside you before you're going to go talk to a group of unbelievers like Mormons or Muslims or even atheists, you had a time machine, you could bring anybody other than Jesus Christ, who would you want? Would you want me? Would you want an expert in Islam or, or in Mormonism? Or how about the Apostle Peter? And I say, if you choose any of them over the Apostle Peter, I probably can't help you. Now, if I'm standing with the Apostle Peter talking to a group of atheists, and I'm talking about the precondition of intelligibility, he'd probably tap me on the shoulder and say, Sai, what are you talking about? I walk with Jesus. You know, I think so a lot of it, you know, the philosophy, it's nice to have in your back pocket, but I think a lot of it is just a waste of time. And I think there's people on this earth who just want to waste your time. But I say, I know why you've asked me to come and speak at this conference today, because at, in John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep here size really good argument. <laughs> he didn't say that. I said, my sheep are my voice. I said, in Romans 1, 16, God says, the power of God unto salvation. You know, Paul says, the power of God unto salvation is size really good argument. No, it's the gospel. The problem is that most apologetic methodologies get us away from the gospel. And some people say, well, how do you get from your argumentation to the gospel? If they ask me that, I've done it wrong. And the more that I do this, the more that I see it's about the gospel. And we share the gospel. And really, when I only get into the, the foundations is when people chair, uh, challenge the sharing of the gospel, you know, with, they say that's not true or whatever, then I might deal with that very quickly. But the, the funny thing about that is, is a lot of times they don't even challenge you. They just listen to what the Bible says. And that's what God uses to save people. And that's what we need to get back to. Did you ever get an update on the kid at the end of uh, How to Answer the Fool? No, Franco. No, there, like I say, there have been instances like that when I've had people like that and never heard from them again. But, um, you know, that's one thing I say. There's two types of people. I say that actually to Franco in the, in the film. There's two types of people. There's sheep and there's goats. You know, as far as eternal destiny, sheep end up in heaven and goats go to hell. One thing scripture never says is that goats become sheep. But Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. And if Franco is one of his sheep, then I don't know if he's saved yet, but he will be saved. And so I've not heard from him. I have hope from him. And um, every once in a while, people ask me about him. And um, hopefully people are still praying for him because he seemed to be uh, quite moved in our interaction. You can find Sai's How to Answer the Fool on the Canon app. Sai, is there anywhere else you want folks to look for you? You mentioned your How to Answer channel. Uh, Yeah, if they go to my website, uh, proofthatgodexists.org, they can check that out. And um, for people that are interested, uh, I also came up with a tulip test. It's also a point and click, and it it, um, shows people how to get to limited atonement. And so uh, if you go onto the About This site, there's a um, tulip test in there. And that's on my website, proofthatgodexists.org. And I have two YouTube channels, Proof That God Exists is one of them, where it's most of my open air preaching and my debates. 
And then the answer anyone is where I have my films and where I'm starting to do the, uh, the answering specific people. And, you know, I've been away from that for over a year, but I hope to get back to that pretty soon. Awesome. Sai, thanks so much for your time and for coming on to Canon Calls. We really appreciate you. We're excited to have your doc on the Canon app. Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, I, I was just telling you before we started that it's already generated a buzz on Twitter. I think people haven't seen it yet and they're talking about it and I'm very thankful for that. So uh, thanks for considering me and thanks for having me on today. Cheers, sir. Thanks. 